take a deep breath. One, two, three. Okay, that was good. My wife has to have a deep breath. Her hiccups are here again. (laughs) (laughs) It feels Christmassy. It's kind of chilly today. It does. December weather. Yeah, I think we should sing. God rest ye merry gentlemen. What you doing? I don't know. It just feels like, I don't even know what that song means. God rest ye merry gentlemen. I guess it's the, you know, you can relax because God is here. Jesus has come. Is yes. that, I don't know. Okay. Well, I love you. Hello, date night fam. Hello, everyone. We trust your Christmas is off to a Christ-focused start and not getting cluttered with all the commercialized nonsense. Amen. Remember, this time of year, everyone is urging your discontentment because if you're discontent, then you'll spend more what? More money. money so don't buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. See what I did there? <laughs> Spend more time Don't. thanking, less time anxious, more time at church, less time trying to fill the want tank with Amazon and all that yes. stuff. Yes. And we just had a family meeting about this last night, didn't Yes, we? we did. And on that note, today we're stepping into part two of our Trust God pod, and we're praying it helps all of us keep things in perspective this Christmas, because we know everybody will be busy with family and no doubt feel a few anxieties, hurt, stress, and some loneliness. Absolutely. You ready for this? Yes. Ethan, are you ready? Let's do it. How dare you say that to me? <laughs> what did I say? I don't know, but how dare you? Okay, so I'm going to do a real quick review. And since we're doing breath holding, I'm going to try to do this like the old radio review style. Do it. Yeah, with just one breath. So let me get ready. Here we go. Ready? <clears throat> In last week's episode, Trusting God Part 1, Tony and Barice at the stage discussing the difficulties of learning to trust God, the hard questions we all ask, culminating with the triangle of trust, God's sovereignty, wisdom, and goodness. In his love, he wills our best. In his wisdom, he knows our best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to accomplish our best, all of which is testified across the scriptures and enables to truly trust God. That was amazing. All in one breath. Uh, (laughs) Well, we basically ended by pointing out that God is constantly caring for and ruling over all his creation for his glory and our good so we can 100% trust him and that really set up what we'll talk about today which is his sovereignty his sovereignty oh and we, last week we found a new button do you yes. want to play that button for everyone there it is there it is okay and John Piper and last week John Piper fired us up let's invite Pastor John back John would you join us again for our podcast today so I invite you to get inside God Inside his history, where he reveals God. himself for your good. He wants you to know the whole God. Not a little skinny God, not a little thin skinny God, not God. a little granddaddy God. The whole massive universe sustaining and ruling God. That'll get you through. That'll bring you to glory. That'll help you be unashamed when you stand before him and catch your breath. Catch your breath. So I love good. that. The massive universe sustaining God. Okay. Yes. Okay. So now we're all caught up. We're going to make the turn. Last time we ended at the topic of God's sovereignty. So let's go ahead and dive into the Bible and just start wrapping our mind around the hope giving, comfort offering, life changing truth of God's sovereignty. And I want to do this like a Bible study and kind of slow down. And so, you know, for the whole date night family, we're going to just go a little bit slower. We're going to work through some biblical texts because there is nothing more encouraging than the Word of God. So let's begin section one with His sovereignty sustains us. And then, my love, are you willing to read Hebrews 1 for us? Yes, Hebrews 1. Verses 1 through 3 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. 
Okay, date night fam, if you want to pause this real quick, grab your Bible or pull out your phone and then just swipe over to an app and then jump to Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. And I just want to show you something. Catch right there in verse 3. Jesus not only created the world, he also sustains it day by day. Mm. That is so important to understand. He is the upholder of the world. I remember Jonathan Edwards, I was reading a few weeks ago, he lived in the era where Isaac Newton was doing all of his gravity experiments. And I love this. He said, quote, gravity is just man's made up word for Christ's whisper. Wow, that's so good. <laughs> and that's a life-transforming truth when we realize the Bible says time and again, nothing exists of its own power. Mm-hmm. Every cell, every heartbeat, every breath, every bite of food we take, all of it is determined by God. And like we talked about last week, this includes both the good and the bad, right? Yes. Because I know it's always my tendency to attribute the good to God and kind of equate all the bad stuff to chance. Totally. Yeah, the sunny day is God's kindness, but the tornado is when he looked the other way. As if there's some part of the creative order outside of his control, right? Like there's a few maverick molecules and, but in nature, it's all him. It's all his purposes. It reminds me of Paul's teaching in Acts 17. He Mm. gives to all life and breath and determines their appointed times. Well said. Okay. Let's go ahead and make the turn to the next section. So number one, if by any chance you're taking notes, you know, is his sovereignty sustains. Number two is his sovereignty governs. And picture this like concentric circles. We start on the outside, like the universe, and then we're moving our way in towards the earth, okay? So now we're not just talking about natural law, but even the living animals and the creation within that natural law. Love, are you willing to open up and read Matthew 10? Yes, verse 28 begins, And do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Okay, so real quick, if you've got your phone um, or your Bible open here, Matthew 10, 28, don't fear those who kill the body. Okay, Jesus says, you know, so everyone's worried and anxious and concerned. He says, don't fear those who kill the body. Who's that? That's people, but they're unable to kill the soul, right? They can't deal with the inner man, but rather fear him. You want to fear someone. You want to have reverence from someone. You want to bow to someone. You fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who's that? People go, that's Satan. No, it's not. It's God. It's God, Mm. right? And then he goes on to provide the comfort. He says, this is the very creator of the universe who who is caring, who who made you, who made your body, who made your soul. And he goes on and he says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? So he looks over to the Bougainvilleas. There's those 18 little birds that are fluttering all around, the tiny little thing. He says, those things are only sold for, uh, you know, for us as a penny. And yet not one of them, not one of them are going to fall to the ground apart from your father. Think about that. Mm -hmm. 2,000 years worth of birds all around the world. And how many birds live right now and die right now that we don't know about? Go back 2,000 years. And he says, not one of those birds at any point in history has ever hit the ground without the father knowing. And then he translates that into hope. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. He says, you're of so much more value than the sparrows. And so this is important, okay? You need to note it's only the it's not only the inanimate creation. So you think about the, the world and the dirt. But here Jesus speaks of living creatures too. And this would be something great to write down. Just write this down. No living thing can act outside of his will. You think about it. How many birds are dying every day? He says not one of them ever died without his attention. And Kent Hughes says, quote, nothing's too large or small. The smallest web or the greatest army, all of it is 
God's appointed behest. Augustine says, nothing ever happened until the omnipotent wills or permits it, end quote. Can I ask a question? Sure. Why is this such a tough topic for people, all of us, to comprehend? I mean, I meet others, um, myself, who struggle when they read these verses or even skip over these verses altogether. Well, we'll, we'll dig into that a little more in a second. But I think the basic answer when we're talking about infinite truths is we as humans will naturally struggle um, because our finite minds are being shown infinite realities. And that's always going to be a struggle. We can't comprehend things like the Trinity, mm -hmm. how God can be three in one. Um, the Spirit and the Apostles both wrote the Bible. How does that work? The verbal, verbal plenary theory, we call it. Or how Jesus can be 100% God and 100% man, the hypostatic union. How you, When we can't understand something, we tend to wrestle with it. And I think that's very normal. And the same thing's happening here. When something doesn't make sense to me, uh, in the philosophical books, they'll call that rationalism. It doesn't make sense to the human mind. Our flesh tells us it must not be true. And that's why over the centuries, people will invent all kinds of ways around these very clear teachings of Christ, but it's better just to take him at his word and to trust him. So would some of our struggle be because there's so much pain and evil in the world? Absolutely. And again, that goes right back to the finite struggle. I think it was Epicurus who coined that famous syllogism, right? If God's unable to prevent evil, he's not all powerful, or if he's unwilling, to prevent evil, he's not all good. Mm. And from a human perspective, again, rationalism, it's true. And that's the raw reality of our pain. It makes it hard to comprehend a God who would appoint our struggle. Yet that's why we need to read these words again. In fact, if everyone wants to, read verse 29 again. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? And we see truths like that across the Bible. Lamentations 3 says, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Check that out. Both the good and the bad. And Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4 famously said, His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures generation to generation, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar's the guy who's the pagan king, and it seems like he's converted, and he's literally just given a gospel presentation, resounding under the glory of God, and he says he's in charge of everything. Mm, all right, so let's make the obvious turn. If God is guiding all living creatures, we can assume that includes people as well? Yes, we can. So let's move from <clears throat> his sovereignty sustains and now down to his sovereignty governs. We move from that outside universe. We move down into the, the creatures of the, the earth. And now let's move down into people. Are you willing to read James 4.13 for us? Yes, it says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. So go ahead and look at how we're a step closer now. God has ordained the cosmos. Then we talked about the animals. And now James says, even the lives of men and women... And there's nothing that people can do to change it. <laughs> and kind of a side note there, when people ask, well, what about free will? Which naturally comes up here. I'll sometimes use the analogy of an architect. You picture an architect who kind of schemed the entire building and drew it out, and his plans are going to be completed. But each individual worker is still allowed to use their tools and build as they see fit. You know, and that's kind of a possible analogy, although it falls short in places for God. You know, even though there's a level of builder freedom, we have a limited freedom, you know, the architect of the cosmos is guaranteed to have his plans 
completed. Does that kind of make sense? Yes. And this is the teaching about God that people get frustrated with, right? It is sometimes. Um, and even godly theologians through the ages have invented rational solutions to try and, and get around what the text so clearly says. And, and there's other podcasts out there better suited to defend reformed soteriology. Um, but for our purposes here, let me just point out that this truth is absolutely critical to our trust of God. And I mean that. I mean, if anyone is listening to this, you need to understand your faith in this doctrine, the sovereignty of God, affects your confidence in everything else. Because if even a single, listen to me, if even a single event in the universe is outside of God's control, there's one maverick molecule floating around out there, you cannot trust him. Yeah. I remember at one conference, you borrowed someone's wedding ring and you said you were mm. going to take it to the OC fair and then you asked everyone <laughs> if they trusted you to bring it back. They did. They yeah. Did. All the ladies were like, yeah, we do. Yes. The point that you made was they trusted you, but once you told them they made that you may go to Iraq or somewhere dangerous, uh, yeah. it brought hesitation. It's going to Baghdad with their ring. Yeah. They kind of hesitated. Because although I may love the person, with I forget whose ring I use, they may love the person with all, all my heart and have the wisdom that I know I should guard their ring and the goodness desiring to guard their ring, the reality is, is I'm a weak and powerless man in the middle of a war zone against a gang. I simply can't guard it. Yes, and your point was God must be all wise, all good, and all powerful in order to be God. Exactly. We're right back, if everyone goes to last week's pod, right? We're right back to the triangle of trust from last week. And that's why the Bible explodes with these truths. Proverbs 16, 9, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord is what will stand. Yes. And we cling to that. There is no plan outside him. No king, no coach, no boss, no teacher. No one can mm, touch us or harm on. us, diagnose us, or even speak to us without his permission. Amen. We need to bring back the hallelujah for that. That deserves a hallelujah. There it is. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to the final section. I think it's the final section. Yeah. I don't remember. His sovereignty wins. Yes. This is one of my favorites. Okay. So outside in his sovereignty sustains. And then we talked about the fact that his sovereignty, what was it? Governs his sovereignty controls. And now we're coming right to the core. And I love this. This mm -hmm. is how he works in the lives of mankind. His sovereignty wins. It will be victorious. Uh, and we'll talk about this in a second more, but it's the fact that he's not working outside of mankind. He's working through mankind. Um, are you willing to read? This is your favorite verse. Yes. Job 42. Yes, it reads, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And I'll add a couple of others. Oh, okay. Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And Isaiah 46.9 says, I am a God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. I, I hope somebody in date night fam around the world is just pumped right now hearing that. I, I just want to, if you have, okay, if you have a pen, write these down. Job 42, 2. Uh, Psalm 115, you read verse 3. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Just write those down and read them and meditate on them. What we've done is we move from the cosmos to the creatures to the people and now to the fact that nothing can stop what he's planned. And he's not working apart from people, but through people. And I just find this to be the most mind-blowing and joy-giving thought that I yeah, know. This is one of my favorite theological truths in the entire Bible. So which example should we use? Let's let's try to pull a famous story. We could do Joseph um, or, or Esther. I think Esther. Esther's a good one. Okay, let's do Esther. Okay. Everyone knows
knows that story, right? All the Jews are in danger. There's the diabolical Haman, and then all of a sudden Mordecai takes center stage in the story. And then ultimately there's this teen gal who walks into the palace and King Xerxes is smitten by her. And then there's that pivotal point of the whole story we often forget in chapter six, <laughs> where the whole story builds and you're like, what's gonna happen? And then you have to ask the question. And, and I think the author really wants us to be asking the question, you know, why can't King Xerxes sleep? Why does he pull the old register all of a sudden? Why does he read the particular chapter he does? Why does he come across the story of Mordecai? Why does he ask about Mordecai's reward? Mm -hmm. Why hadn't Mordecai already been rewarded? Why did Haman suddenly walk up right then? Why does Xerxes ask Haman about the honor? Obviously, the answer the author wants us to, 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 to see is, is who's in charge of the whole thing? God. It's God. It's God working through human instruments, in this case, to save his people. Yahweh wins. And that's the whole point time and again in the Bible. And we could go through story after story after story. You know, what I love about Romans is that Paul takes all the truths of the entire Bible and he says them the best way. Mm -hmm. It's like he boils down all theological and doctrinal truth and he just says it the best way. You know, Romans 8.28 takes all these truths and he boils it down into one sentence. Everyone knows it. Ready? God causes all things. Notice that. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And that's our problem, isn't it? We tend to read the Old Testament stories and think, well, those are Bible characters. My <laughs> life is different. <laughs> totally. But Romans 8.28 says God's still sovereign, still controlling, still caring, and still 100% going to win. So I can trust him with my life too, when it's good or even when it's hard. Exactly. In, in fact, you, know, you said even when it's good, even when it's hard. And then this idea of forgetting about the biblical characters being true people. Well, let me do this. This is something I've done before. I think everyone will enjoy this. <clears throat> You're obviously a lady, my wife, my beautiful wife. You, you, I'm going to ask you to pick for the ladies. And then guys out there, you go ahead and picture someone in your mind. Here we go. Okay. So we got Peter on one side. We got James on the other. So go back 2,000 years. And Peter's like a burly you know, fisherman. James maybe was more of an analytical guy with glasses or something. So if you're a guy out there and you're listening, go ahead and pick um, one or the other as your best friend. You know, Peter, the big burly fisherman, or James, kind of the more inquisitive statesman. Um, and then ladies, for you guys, go ahead and you're going back 2,000 years. Your husbands won't mind. Pick one of them as your husband. James. Okay, so you pick James. All right, good choice. All right. So you picked him in your mind. I'll wait a little bit longer, okay? Now, go ahead and imagine one night, both of them are arrested. So for you, if you married Peter uh, or your best friends with Peter, he's taken away in cuffs. Um, if my wife, for you, you married James, he's taken away in cuffs. So you and all your friends get together, you go down to the church, and you all begin to pray. All right? And so everyone's praying, and you're asking God to release them, and you're sad, and you're burdened. You know it's for God's glory, but it's still hard. And then all of a sudden, there's like a, you know, a knock on the door. So just imagine that. And then the servant girl answers. And she comes running back into the room. I want you to picture this. Remember, this is your best friend. Or this is your husband. And she runs back in the room and she says, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, guess what? I just heard. I got a text message. <laughs> and then she says, Peter's been released. Okay? <laughs> now, ladies, if you married Peter, men, if you are best friends with Peter, you're just like through the roof. You're jumping up and down. You guys are high-fiving. Everyone falls to their knees. You're praising God. You're waiting for him to get home. He's going to come through the door, and you're going to throw him a party, right? Okay? But now pause right there. Now I want to flip it. Same time. Different home. Knock on the door. Servant girl comes running in. She says, I got a text message, guys. 
She's got tears in her eyes. Her brow is furled, you can tell. She's about to break. And she says, Herod just took James, he took his life. Mm. He took his head. Now remember, ladies, that's your husband. Guys, that's your best friend. What happens in that room? People fall to their knees. The, the lips begin to trem- tremble. And, and, and there's a brokenness in the room as people cry out to God, right? Now here's what's so interesting. In the narrative of Acts, those two things are happening virtually simultaneously. And yet when we go back 2,000 years and we read the story, we all know that who's in charge of both stories. Hmm. We all go, well, sure, God was in charge with Peter and God was also in charge with who? Yeah. But then when we fast forward to our day, when we go through good things, we go, well, this must be God. But when we go through hard things, we don't want to accept that what? It's also God. Mm. See, and that right there, friends, are the stories we need to hold on to so that the truth of Romans 8.28 is what lives in our mind. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called, not just the perfect things and the easy things and the good things, but also the hard things. He's got a plan in that, and that's what we call the triangle of trust. Yes, he's all wise, so he knows our best, all loving, so he chooses our best and all powerful, so he'll 100% accomplish our best. Amen. And that right there is what calls for a holy hallelujah. You know what I want to do? What? Ethan, since this is kind of a two-parter on trusting God, just one more time, can we hear from Piper? So I invite you to get inside God, inside his history where he reveals himself for your good. He wants you to know the whole God, not a little skinny God, not a little thin God, not a little granddaddy God, the whole massive universe sustaining and ruling God. That'll get you through. That'll bring you to glory. That'll help you be unashamed when you stand before him and catch your breath. Heavenly Father, our date night family is sure to enter a tough season. If it's not right now, it'll come. Please remind us all of your love and your wisdom and your power. Keep us dependent. Keep us close. Knowing that you see all, that you know all, you control all. That not one hair of our head will ever fall without your permission. And that you cause all things to work together for the good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. That's our God the massive universe-shaping God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, date night fam, Lord willing, we will see you in 168 short hours. Thanks to the wonderful people of Mission Bible, Ethan, our producer. Have a Merry Christmas. Keep living for the gospel and fighting for the family. Mm-hmm.